Turn to John chapter 7, verse 1 with me, please. John chapter 7, verse 1. The scripture teaches us that um, after Jesus had risen from the dead, he had appeared to different groups of people, and Thomas didn't happen to be among the people that Jesus had appeared to. Uh, But when the other disciples told him about it, he said, I will not believe unless I can put my finger into his hands and the nail prints and into his side where he was pierced with the spirit. I will not believe unless I can do that. And and you know the story how uh, a short time later they were all meeting together and Jesus appeared in their midst, right there with them in the room, in the locked room where they were. And there was Thomas standing there, probably with his mouth open uh, in shock. Uh, and Jesus said, Thomas, see here the nail prints in my hands. See here the wound in my side. Uh, be not doubting, but believe. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Thomas believed when he saw. Jesus said, blessed are those who believe who haven't seen. And I I believe it's so important for us as people living here in this age and and at any time in history to put our trust in Jesus Christ. And the Bible gives us plenty of reasons to do so. Um, We're going to look at some things today about the opposition that Jesus faced. You do know that opposition to Jesus is nothing new. Uh, We see it in the in the newspaper, and we hear about it on television, but really, it's nothing new. It is the same old thing that was happening even during the time when Jesus lived. And so, um, Jesus is going, he's got these different folks who are, who are coming to him, Pharisees and Sadducees mainly, who are religious leaders, and Jesus is speaking to the very issues of their heart. And uh, he is pointing out sin, and that is never easy to take. It's human nature, right? To not like your sin to be exposed. But not only did they not enjoy this conviction, they resisted it, and they refused to repent. And as a result, they had a hatred for Jesus. And and the Scripture says that they wanted to put him to death, uh, that they couldn't stand him. Uh, and, and everywhere they went, they were trying to oppose him in any way that they could. And so as you look at this opposition that Jesus is facing, Jesus still is loving the people who are opposing him. And he's still trying to reach them, even though there is hatred and opposition. Aren't you glad that God loves us when we don't love him? Uh, praise God for that fact. I know there was a time in my life where I didn't care about Christ. Uh, I had questions about Christianity. But praise God that he loved me in spite of it and sought to draw me to himself. So the greatest thing in this world is that you could believe in Jesus and have a relationship with God and enjoy the benefits of the joy of walking with him. And then it even gets better from here when Jesus comes back, a new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem an eternity of perfection where there's no tears or sorrow or crying or pain. Um, I was thinking, as we sung that song, I Will Rise. But I, I love that song, and it's, it's, so, it's so true because one of these days, everything will be different when Jesus comes back. Every person who takes a breath on this planet needs 
to know the truth of who Jesus is and his good news. And so, uh, if you're here today and you have doubts about Christianity, you've come to the right place. Because we're going to talk about doubting your doubts. uh, Doubting your unbelief. That's the title of my message. And so, um, there are those who say, you know, I, I believe I ought to doubt everything. Uh, and so they, they doubt everything. But you cannot help but believe in something, right? Even if it's in your own doubts, you've got, you got a belief in something. I was talking to somebody one day and said, you know, um, he was saying, well, I don't base, uh, base my life on beliefs. I base my life on facts. And I said, well, did you drive here today? And uh, he said, well, yeah. I said, well, didn't you believe that when you put your foot on the brake pedal, you'd stop? He said, well, yeah, but that's not the same thing. I said, of course it is. All of us put our trust in something. And so uh, doubting your unbelief is important because if you're ever to know the joy of walking with God and the blessings of heaven, you're going to have to at some point doubt your unbelief. But here, here's the other thing. If you're here today and you're a Christian, you also need to listen to this message because there may be an opportunity that you have at some time to talk to somebody who's lost, who is struggling with doubts, so that you can maybe have some things that God will show you. Ask God to show you some things as you listen to this message that you can share with people who are struggling with doubt. If, you, if you're unsaved, ask God to speak to you and show you the truth of who he is and to give you the ability to believe and follow Christ. So doubting your unbelief. Look with me at John 7, verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled in Galilee since he did not want to travel in Judea because the Jews were trying to kill him. The Jewish festival of tabernacles was near. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples can see your works that you're doing. For no one does anything in secret while he's seeking public recognition. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus told them, my time has not yet arrived, but your time is always at hand. The world cannot hate you, but it does hate me, because I testify about it, that its deeds are evil. Go up to the festival yourselves. I'm not going up to the festival yet, because my time has not yet fully come. After he said these things, he stayed in Galilee. After his brothers had gone up to the festival, he also went up, not openly, but secretly. The Jews were looking for him at the festival and saying, where is he? And there was a lot of discussion about him among the crowds. Some were saying, he's a good man. Others were saying, no, on the contrary, he's deceiving the people. Still, nobody was talking publicly about him because they feared the Jews. When the festival was already half over, Jesus went up into the temple complex and began to teach. Then the Jews were amazed and said, how does he know the scripture since he hasn't been trained? Jesus answered them, My teaching isn't mine, but is from the one who sent me. If anyone wants to do his will, he will understand whether the teaching is from God or if I am speaking on my own. The one who speaks for himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Didn't Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you want to kill me? You have a demon, the crowd responded. Who wants to kill you? I did one work, and you are all amazed, Jesus answered. Consider this. Moses has given you circumcision, 
Not that it comes from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses won't be broken, are you angry at me because I made a man entirely well on the Sabbath? Stop judging according to outward appearances. Rather, judge according to righteous judgment. Some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Yet look, he's speaking publicly, and they're saying nothing to him. Can it be true that the authorities know that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, nobody will know where he's from. As he was teaching in the temple complex, Jesus cried out, You know me, and you know where I am from. Yet I have not come on my own, but the one who sent me is true. You don't know him. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. Then they tried to seize him, yet no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. However, many from the crowd believed in him and said, When the Messiah comes, he won't perform more signs than this man has done, will he? So doubting your unbelief, how do you doubt your unbelief in Jesus? Well, the first thing you need to do is examine your response. Examine your response. You look at verse 1, it says they were trying to kill him. Look at verse 7, it says, uh, he's talking about the world. In other words, all the people uh, and the world's evil system are in opposition to him. He says, it does hate me because I testify about it that its deeds are evil. Look at verse 19. He says, didn't Moses give you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you want to kill me? So there was this anger and this hatred toward Jesus. And Jesus is trying to get them to examine their response to him. Isn't it interesting, the responses of people to Jesus Christ? Um, I've often thought, if I was an atheist, I would not be an angry atheist. Because if I didn't believe God existed, I'd be a shrug of the shoulders to me. I would not, it would not be a second thought. I would not be angry. Why are there people with so much anger toward the things of God? Well, perhaps there's something in their past that they've experienced, maybe with the church, that, that, that happened to them, and, and they have a negative impression of the church. And I've talked to some people like that. I had one man, when I was in the military, uh, told me that he would not go to church because his parents had made him go to church, all his growing up years, and, and by golly, he wasn't going to go. And so he was not going to church because of his parents. And so he has some feelings about that. Well, I think it was more about his parents than it was about Jesus. Some people I've had share uh, that something happened to them through somebody in the church. And so now they're no longer in the church and they have strong feelings about it. But more often, I think the anger that, that is there comes because people are convicted over sin. Because the fact is, if you don't truly believe in God, why would it matter to you that somebody else did? I have no uh, issue. I don't stay up at night worrying about people that believe in unicorns. I mean, it just doesn't, doesn't disturb me. I, I don't lose sleep over it. I don't get up in the morning and say, these, I can't stand these people that believe in unicorns. I don't believe it. I, it's, 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 so it doesn't matter to me. I think down at the heart of this belief is the fact that they deep down know that God exists, but they don't want to surrender their life to Him. So the fact 
that people talk about God reminds them of their accountability to God. Why did the Pharisees hate Jesus so much? It's because he pointed out their sin. He pointed out the shallowness of who they were. And they did not want to surrender to him. Now, conviction is a wonderful thing if you respond to it. Because it leads to eternal life and it leads to a relationship with God. Can I tell you today, if you're convicted over your sin, allow that conviction to do a good work in you. Respond to Jesus. Surrender to him. Put your trust in him. Receive the gift of eternal life that Jesus bought and paid for when he was on the cross and that he assured when he rose from the dead. Know that God will save your soul if you'll receive his salvation and he'll wipe away all that sin. He'll cleanse you. Um, If you're here today and you're a child of God, pray for those who are not yet saved that God will give them the ability to surrender and put their trust in Jesus. But examine your response. If you are doubting the things of God, examine your response to God. Could it go deeper than what you're saying it actually is? Uh, or is that the, are the, the things that you're responding to at heart, you deep down are bothered by your sin and bothered by the fact that you might have accountability to God? It's an important question to ask. So examine your response. If you're a child of God, maybe help others examine their response as you talk to them about Jesus. Secondly, examine your desire. This is a remarkable scripture. Verse 17. Well, look, at, look back at verse 16. It gives a little context. Jesus answered them, My teaching isn't mine, but it's from the one who sent me. In other words, it's from God. Look at verse 17. If anyone wants to do his will, he will understand whether the teaching is from God or if I'm speaking on my own. So you've got to examine your desire. Do you have a desire to do the will of God? If you have a desire to do the will of God and you're truly open to understand whether Christ's teaching is from God, God gives a promise here in this verse that you will come to know that and you will know that this teaching is from God. But you have to have that desire. You see, some people don't know whether or not there's a God because they don't want to know whether or not there's a God. They're not open to it. They don't have a desire to follow Christ. And so, have you ever heard that statement, ignorance is bliss? Ignorance is bliss. Some things I don't want to know. Why? Because if I know them, I may have to deal with them or I may have to face them. Uh, It's like I heard one comedian say, you're not sick unless you go to the doctor. Right? You, you know, ignorance is bliss. And, you know, if somehow you can deny that you're sick, then you won't have to face this problem and this issue. Well, some people just don't want to admit to themselves that God exists. Why? Because then that means they've got to do something about it. And they don't have a desire to do something about it. So doubt becomes an excuse not to respond to God. Uh, So you need to examine your desire. And and, and if you're in that situation where you're doubting the things of God, ask God to give you a desire to do his will. Um, I heard of a man one time who who gave this challenge. He said, read the Gospel of John for 30 days and and do what it says. And God will reveal himself to you. I think if you have that desire to follow Christ, he will reveal himself to you. He will come to you. Uh, We had a guy... um, uh, his name was Jimmy. 
who came through here one day and came into my office. And he was driving through Knoxville and just kind of came to the end of himself. And, and he told God, he's praying in his car as he's driving through Knoxville, God, uh, you know, I want to be saved. I've come to the end of myself. I'm tired of fighting this. I want to be saved, but I don't know how. Will you lead me to a church where somebody will tell me about Jesus? And, and he, God let him hear. And I've been praying on the other end. God sent me somebody to tell about Jesus. And so anyway, God sent him here. He heard the gospel. And with tears rolling down his cheeks, gave his heart to Christ. Why? Because he had the desire. And when, when he had the desire to be saved, God showed him the truth. There's a great biblical principle there. Great promise there. Some people say, well, what about people who have never heard? If they have a desire to follow God, God will get the message to them. Uh, somebody was sharing a story with me this past week about this man um, in the foreign country that he'd heard about um, who, who, who was telling God, Lord, I don't believe these gods that my, my people are serving are true, and, and I want to know you. And, and, but he would climb a palm tree and look out over the ocean. He'd look up and he'd look out. And one day, after doing this for multiple days, he looked up and he looked out, and there was a boat full of missionaries coming to where he was. If you have a desire to follow Christ, he will show you the truth. He will show you the truth. I, I, I purchased a book this past week that I had heard of, and I'd read some other things about this kind of thing, but apparently God is using dreams quite a bit in the Muslim world, and, and uh, this man was describing, he's a missionary to the Middle East, and was describing some of the things that, that uh, people had been telling him as he'd, he'd gone over there, and um, he described this one woman, and she had this dream, it was a very vivid dream, she was a Muslim, and in her dream, she saw Jesus, and Jesus was telling her, I want you, he had this conversation with her, I want you to talk to this man, and he points to this man behind him that has been walking with them, and this, I, you're going to see him tomorrow, I want you to talk to him, and he'll tell you about me. Well, the next day, um, this man, who's a Christian, I just felt led to go to this, this marketplace. And so he's walking through this marketplace, and this lady says to him, You're the one! You're the one! And, and she runs up behind him and grabs a hold of him, which, you, if you know, Muslim culture is a big no-no. You, you know, if you're a woman, you don't talk to a man in public. But she was so excited, she ran up to him, she grabbed a hold of him. She says, I've got to talk to you. And so, you know, he begins to kind of ask her some questions. You know, I don't want to get killed here for talking to you. Uh, you know, so anyway, long story short, they, they find him a place to talk, and uh, she shares with him this dream, and, and through a series of circumstances, ends up giving her heart to Christ. God is at work in this world. If people have a desire to come to him, he will find them where they are. It's happening all over the world. And so, examine your desire. If you're struggling with doubts, about Christianity as an unbeliever, examine those doubts and ask God to give you a desire in your heart to do the things of God, and he will show you the truth. So, if you're a child of God and you're talking with people who have doubts, uh, encourage them to pray this prayer to God and pray this for them on their behalf so that they can come to Christ. So, if you're doubting your unbelief, how do you do it? 
Examine your response. Examine your desire. Thirdly, examine your accusations. Examine your accusations. Look at verse 21. Jesus says, I did one work. What's he talking about? He's talking about the healing of the lame man in chapter 5. You're all amazed. He says, Moses has given you circumcision. He's talking about the fact that they had a, a law in, in, the, uh, in the Old Testament where they were to circumcise their children on the eighth day as Jewish people. He says, you have a law and you circumcise people on the eighth day. And if that day happens to be Sunday, you still do that. And you see that as important enough that even though it's the Sabbath, you're willing to do it. So why are you accusing me of healing this man on the Sabbath? And basically, Jesus' argument is this. Which is better, to cut a man on the Sabbath or to heal a man on the Sabbath? He says, quit judging according to outward standard. You judge according to right judgment. You are being hypocritical in what you've accused me of. Many people accuse Jesus of different things. Um, I just mentioned, what about those who've never heard? You know what? I, I've heard, I hear people that are, that are skeptics bring that up quite a bit. Um, and there are a number of things that, that can be said in answer to that. But one of the things that amazes me about that is the very people who are asking that question are the people who are trying to get Christianity barred from our national life. Isn't that interesting? Don't put the Ten Commandments in the courthouse. Don't put prayer in school. Don't talk about God at school. Uh, you know, don't put a nativity scene in a public place. Why? They're accusing God of being unfair to people that have never heard, but they're trying to keep people from hearing. Isn't that interesting? Examine your accusations. Sometimes the accusations that we have toward Christ are a smokescreen. There are things that we're doing and we're being unfair. And when you think about all the evidence and you look at it carefully, you begin to see, hey, my accusation really doesn't hold water. That's what these Pharisees, and I don't know if they ever admitted it, but Jesus made it clear. Hey, look, it's better to heal a man than to cut a man on the Sabbath. And, uh, and, and so uh, Jesus was showing that their accusation wasn't truly, uh, first of all, fair, but secondly, uh, it wasn't genuine because they themselves did the same kind of thing, uh, but in a different way. So examine your accusations. Are your accusations based on what you want to believe? Or are your accusations based on something you genuinely have a problem with? Now, there are some people who have genuine questions about Christianity. And we want people to feel free to ask those questions. Uh, and we want to do our best to answer those questions and to show people love and to be patient with people. But, uh, but be aware of that. If you have doubts uh, about Christianity, know that sometimes your accusations against Christianity may be a smokescreen for the fact that you don't want to believe. That's what Jesus is pointing out to them here in the Scripture. So, uh, how do you doubt your unbelief? First of all, examine your response, examine your desire. Examine your accusations. Fourthly, examine your beliefs. Verse 27, we know where this man comes from, and when the Messiah comes, nobody will know where he is from. Now, what are they talking about here? Well, apparently there was a tradition that, that it wasn't in Scripture, but there was a tradition where the Jewish people believed 
that when the Messiah came, he would kind of appear suddenly, and nobody would know about his origins. He would kind of appear and uh, uh, spectacularly begin to share with them and, and uh, lead them out from under the oppression of the foreign power that was over them. And so Jesus wasn't fulfilling this prediction, but they were putting a requirement of Jesus that, that the Scripture doesn't have. Uh, however, many of the prophecies that predicted Jesus' life and predicted his death are amazing in their accuracy. When you, when you think about be, the fact that before crucifixion was even invented, there are Bible prophecies predicting the very specific things that they did to Jesus, pierced my hands and my feet before crucifixion was even invented. They describe it in detail. They describe Isaiah 53, one of the most, 50, latter part of 52 through 53, one of the most amazing passages of Scripture in the Bible. It describes in detail the scourging that Jesus would experience, the death that Jesus would experience, and the resurrection. It says he would, be, he would have his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. And usually they put the, the people who were crucified into a mass uh, burial situation, and Jesus was probably laying there with the others who had been killed, uh, and Joseph of Arimathea came and got his body and put him in his own tomb, the tomb of a rich man, the very thing Isaiah pre- predicted in Isaiah 53. It, it is truly amazing, the prophecy. But Jesus even goes beyond that with these who are questioning him. He says, look, it's true you know where I'm from. You know that I was raised in Nazareth, that I live in Capernaum now, you know where I'm from, but, but you don't really know where I'm from because I came from God, and you don't know him. And so what Jesus is doing, he's saying, look, uh, you think you've got it all figured out, but you, you've got the wrong facts. You don't have the whole story. You remember another place they're saying, well, well we know that nobody comes out of Nazareth uh, who's the Messiah. We know that, and, and, and the fact is, they didn't know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. They didn't have all the facts. And so uh, many times people have beliefs that they hold on to and they use as an excuse not to believe in Christianity, but the fact is they've got the wrong facts. They don't have the whole story. So uh, examine your beliefs. Don't just take those beliefs, maybe you heard it somewhere, look into those things. Examine those things and, and look at them carefully. Get all the facts before you make a, a snap decision. These people had made a snap decision about Jesus and their information wasn't correct. Wouldn't it be a tragedy to go to hell because you had the wrong information? Look into it carefully. There's nothing more critical, if Christianity is true, and I believe it is, nothing more critical in the world that you could look into than Is Jesus who he said he is? And did he do what he said he did? Examine your beliefs. By the way, there are a number of people who have done this as atheists. Uh, Lee Strobel is one. Uh, He was a reporter at the Chicago Tribune. He looked into the claims of Christianity, interviewed experts, and he did not want to believe. The reason he started it was to disprove his wife. His wife had become a Christian, and he didn't like it. And so he said, I'm going to disprove Christianity. And so he went out to try to disprove Christianity, and the facts were overwhelming to him, and he ended up coming to faith. 
Josh McDowell did the same thing. He said, I'm going to disprove these Christians, and I'm going to look into it. A Christian girl encouraged him to look into the faith that he, he was ridiculing, and he ended up becoming a Christian, and of course now a great apologist for uh, the Christian church. Uh, J. Warner Wallace is another atheist that was converted to Christianity. He was a cold case detective um, and also had earned a, an architecture, a design and architecture degree from UCLA. Uh, he was in midlife as a cold case detective, and somebody challenged him, use the same criteria you use to investigate cold cases to investigate the Gospels that are found in Scripture and see what happens. And he did, and he ended up coming to faith. And he now has a book called Cold Case Christianity where he explains how he came to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, another one, you, you may be familiar with uh, Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh has a brother named David Limbaugh who's a, who was a skeptic. Uh, David Limbaugh investigated as a lawyer the case for Christianity. And he came to faith. He actually has a book uh, uh, out now explaining how he came to faith. Um, one of the most notorious atheists of the 20th century, uh, Anthony Flew, uh, shocked the world a few years back by saying, based on the, the incredible complexity and the, and the evidence that I see for design in, in the cells in science, I can no longer be intellectually honest and continue to be an atheist. Now, he has not embraced Christianity as far as I know, but he said, I cannot be an atheist based on what I see in science. Uh, he actually has a book. You can order it on Amazon if you're interested. Uh, it says, uh, um, There is a God. That's the title. There is a God. How the world's most notorious atheist changed his mind. Look it up on Amazon.com. I, I, I mean, there's evidence everywhere. If you are willing to examine the facts... If you are willing to examine your beliefs, there's plenty of evidence out there for you to find. So, doubting your unbelief. How do you do it? Doubt, examine your response. Examine your desire. Examine your accusations. Examine your beliefs. And finally, examine your evidence. Verse 31. However, many from the crowd believed in him. When the Messiah comes, he won't perform more signs than this man has done, will he? What is he talking about signs? Signs were the, the miracles that Jesus gave and did so that it would point to his spiritual truth. They were a sign of a spiritual truth. Um, and so Jesus was teaching through the miracles that he did. And there were people who were looking at this as evidence of his life. And they said, look at what happened. Look at what he did. Would the Messiah do more than this? They said, the evidence is pretty compelling here. Um, Philip mentioned earlier about the, the evidence for the resurrection. There, there is an incredible amount of evidence for the resurrection. Paul said of himself, if, if, the, evidence, if the resurrection didn't happen, then we are all, uh, our faith is vain and we're still in our sins if the resurrection didn't happen. And so uh, there have been all kinds of attacks on the resurrection, but none of it, none of it holds water. Over and over and over again, you find even the enemies of Christianity mentioning facts about what the people believed and what the people were talking about in that time period. There's all kinds of historical evidence to believe that it happened just as Scripture says it happened.
examine your evidence. Doubting your unbelief. So as a child of God, you know, sometimes I mentioned about coming across a wrong, a wrong belief and holding on to a wrong belief that you've not examined carefully. Um, Zach McGill, who was served on staff here a, a couple of years back, um, was sharing with me one day. He was listening to an atheist call-in show. And he said it was filled, it was recorded, so it wasn't, he couldn't call in or anything, but he said it was filled with inaccuracies about Christianity and inaccuracies about the Bible. And he said, I was so frustrated. I was like, you're not even, you're not even making an argument based on what's true uh, about our faith. And, so, and then he said, a pastor called in, and he didn't know his Bible either. And so what needed to be corrected wasn't corrected. And, and they were accusing Christianity based on a lie. Something that we as Christians and the Bible doesn't actually say. We don't actually believe. And so uh, sometimes there are people out there, they just haven't examined the evidence. So um, as a Christian, be in the Word of God. First of all, it'll feed your soul. It'll be a blessing to you as you ask God to speak to you. But also, it will help you be able to correct things that people have that are misconceptions about what we believe. God will be able to use you to, to correct some of those things. So, um, doubting your unbelief, examine your response, examine your desire, examine your accusations, examine your beliefs, and examine your evidence. Jesus cares for you. He loves you enough to ask some hard questions to get you to think so that you can come to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, will you respond to him by asking those hard questions in your heart and mind and seeing where the evidence takes you? Um, I'm so glad that Christianity is an evidence-based religion. That's why we have four Gospels, four eyewitness accounts with specific details that can be historically verified. We have a historically-based faith. Look into it and put your trust in Jesus. And if you're a child of God, be ready to give an answer for the hope that's in you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for a Savior that loves us, Lord, despite our doubts and despite the fact that a lot of times we're not even looking for him, but, but that he cares for us. I, I thank you, God, that you are that kind of God and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Father, if there's somebody here today that doesn't know Christ and needs to give their heart and life to him, I pray that they would do that uh, even as we begin this invitation time. They'd, they'd come forward and uh, would pray with me.